following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. We are in part four of our series called Renovate, and today we're going to be talking about where we are planted, where God has placed us, our location, and how specifically and how strategically that is. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit differently today. And we're going to, we're going to, that's the, the point of the passage we're going to look at. But I want to just start just to illustrate the concept that we're going to talk about today. And I want to tell you the story about a woman named Kathleen. Now, Kathleen worked for the New York Historical Society. She was a curator, so she had a passion for antique things, old things. And so her dream, Kathleen's dream, was to live in an antique historic house. And so she was kind of looking for that, and she found this house. It was like the perfect house. It was this little quaint four-bedroom house built in 1839. And it was beautiful. She, she loved the way it looked. She loved, it, had, it was in Connecticut. It was situated right on this river. And it was beautiful, exactly what she wanted. And on top of that, she got it for 70% of the asking price. So she got a really good deal on it. And, and more than that, her realtor said, man, the equivalent house somewhere else would be worth double that, double what you paid. So she got a steal on this beautiful historic home. However, there's one downside to this house. There's one major obstacle that she had to get over as to where it is located. I want to show you an actual picture of Kathleen's house. Check this out right here. You can see by the location that explains a little bit about how she got the deal she did because it's 7.30 a.m. every morning, approximately 10 yards from her door, a freight train goes through. She says it literally shakes the entire house. She can hear pots and pans banging together inside of her home. And um, she said she's decided to look at it as just one of the quaint features of this house. But there's, an another, there's another feature to this house that adds to its, its location, and, the, and it's actually bad location that it's in, is because right, the lot right next to it, there's a field, and it was the dumping ground for a company where they would dump all the toxic chemicals from the stuff they were making. Now, she decided to overlook that because they said that they had cleaned up the area, so she took their word for it, and so she bought this house. Now, she decided to overlook what realtors will tell you is the number one rule in real estate, location. That is the number one rule. So it really doesn't matter what Kathleen does to the house. She may just renovate it. I mean, it might be gorgeous on the inside. She might say, I'm going to invest in this house. I'm going to renovate the kitchens, and I'm going to repaint the inside and change all the rooms and restore a bunch of it. She, it doesn't really matter what she does to renovate the house. It's, gonna, it's really going to be nullified because of its location. Now, in our series called Renovate, we've been talking about um, renovating 
parts of our lives. And, and we, especially in the beginning of the year, we have this instinct to kind of look over our lives and to be renovating. And especially we've been taking this into the spiritual side of our lives and talking about renovating different parts of our life. But the same principle is true. We can invest in renovating our lives and allowing God to go to work on our lives, but unless we address the location and consider the location, all that investment might be nullified. For example, the way the scripture puts it that we're going to look at is God has specifically and strategically, he has planted us specifically in a location that is vital for us to thrive. We're going to unpack this a little bit. If you'd open in your Bibles, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you'd open to Psalm chapter 1, it's also going to be up here on the screen, Psalm chapter 1. We've been discussing this chapter, picking it apart the last couple weeks. And let's just start with Psalm 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now here's where Psalm 1 starts. This is actually the whole, this is the first chapter, so the entire book of the Psalms, it all starts on this one note. In fact, this one word. In the first week of our series, we talked about this one word, blessed. It starts on, on that place, and it really gets your attention because it's not really talking about this transcendent level of blessing that somewhere on some other spiritual plane you will be happy. It starts very down to earth. It's almost like the writer of the psalm, the psalmist, is saying this. He's like looking us right in the eye and he's saying, look, I know your life is complicated. I know it's crazy and it's busy and there are ups and there are downs and there's things that we don't understand and there's things that we're trying to get clarity on. I know there's ups and downs in your life, but if you want to thrive... Like, if, like on that very like tangible, visceral level, like you want to be blessed, like you want to thrive, you want to experience life like you are meant to experience it. It starts on that level and we talked about where this psalm is going. It's saying you want to thrive, then anchor yourself to God's truths because God is the inventor and creator of everything. So it would really be foolish not to say, okay, God, you made, made us and made this. So how, do you, how are you instructing us to, to live? You made us. You know how we're going to thrive. How are you instructing us to live? And so we started, and the psalm starts in this, this note. If you want to be blessed, if you want to really thrive, then it, and it tells us what to do next. In fact, what it says next is it tells us what not to do. And we just read it in that verse. And the first thing the psalm writer says is, make sure you do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, there are advisors, there are voices, advisors, and counselors in our life that instruct us how to run different sectors of our life. And he's warning us, take inventory of those advisors, those voices that speak into our life that are shaping the direction. It's warning us, take inventory and assess, man, okay, are, are these people that are really pivotal in shaping my life, are they leading me towards God's truth or away? Because I don't want to go away from God's truth. He's the creator, inventor. That would be foolish. So are they taking me towards or away? Then he says, make sure you don't walk in the, in the counsel of the wicked. It says, or stand in the way of sinners. And we talked about, there's the second week, we talked about, man, there's, there's um, relationships that we have, people that we metaphorically stand around with. 
And that these relationships, man, when I watch a, someone that's a key relationship, a good friend or family member, when I see how they handle their life in this category, I instinctively, probably without even realizing it, I start to handle that part of my life the same way. We just influence each other like that. So psalm writer saying, if you want to thrive, take inventory of those relationships and say, okay, are, are these relationships, are, are they leading me towards God's truth or away from God's truth? Because I want to be standing on God's truth. That's only wise. Then it says, or sit in the seat of mockers. And we talked about, okay, what are the assumptions that I have a seat at the table for? Like, these are the things that I'm just, I assume to be right. This is how I'm operating. And I've got to uproot those, those assumptions that don't align with God's truth. So this psalmist is saying, if you want to be blessed, the first thing is, don't do this. Don't let negative influencers, bad counsel, draw you away and shape your, your life away from God's truth. But then it says, here's what you're supposed to do. And this is what we talked about last week. Look at verse 2. Let me read it. Psalm 1, verse 2. It says, but his delight, that's the blessed person, his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Last week what we talked about is, okay, we know what not to do. Here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to meditate on God's law, God's scripture, God's word, the Bible. We're supposed to, to love it. Say, okay, God, thank you. You're the designer, the inventor. You told us how to operate, how to thrive. So, of course, I'm going to geek out about this. I'm going to, like, jump into this. I want this to saturate my life. And it says I'm going to meditate on it. So I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to mull it over in my mind. I'm going to marinate in it. And last week we talked about, okay, how do you... How do you do that? Like, what does it actually look like? How do you actually just read the Bible? And we, we talked about what we're supposed to do is to delight in the law of the Lord. And so we're wrapping up the series today, and I want to look at these next couple verses. And these verses are like a metaphor that summarize everything in this psalm, and it's really powerful. Look what it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. Really powerful. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. He paints this picture. I mean, you can even just see it in your mind. I want you to picture this river, this babbling brook, this creek that's running by. It just always has rushing water going by and it's... Uh, maybe it's going through an area that has a tree planted right on its banks. Now imagine, I mean, what a perfect place for a tree. I mean, perfect location for a tree to be planted. Its roots can run down into the soft soil right along the banks of that river, by that stream. And it's constantly got this water source nourishing it. So you'll never come by this tree. It says you'd never come by it and see its branches kind of drooping and its, its leaves kind of curling or withering. I mean, it, it's right by the source, always nourished. It's always thriving. In fact, it's a fruiting tree, it says. So it's always in season. The fruit is right there and it's, it's weighing down those leaves, it's just so, those branches because it's so fruitful. It says, man, this is, it is a vibrant place that this tree is planted and it is strong 
and it is sturdy. Now, um, you may not be into gardening or into things like that, but it's just a simple agricultural metaphor that any one of us can understand. Okay, yeah, a tree that's planted by, right by a stream. Okay, that's, it's kind of got an edge on the other trees because it's right there by the stream. But we actually can't fully appreciate this metaphor living in South Florida. Because in South Florida, I mean, we have lush vegetation year-round. I mean, we have the, the trees that flower down here in South Florida and bear fruit. Some of them are year-round. They're constantly flowering. I mean, for us to imagine the difference between a tree planted by a stream and not planted by a stream, it's like, okay, I mean, they're both going to do well. One might do a little better. But that really misses the point of what this is saying because the context, in when it, the context where this was written, like the surrounding region where this was written is a different scenario. In Israel, there are parts of it that are not like South Florida in any capacity. There are parts that are huge, desolate, deserted wilderness. So for example, let me just show you a picture. This is the, what's called the Judean wilderness. I mean, just look at that. I mean, that's just sand and dirt and rock and mountains and caves and hills. I mean, there's almost nothing that's going to grow and certainly not thrive there. When you hear pe people in, uh, stories in the Bible, people going into the wilderness, picture that. But what's interesting about the Judean wilderness is there's, it, it comes right up to the Dead Sea and there's these hills that come up and then it drops and goes to this extremely low altitude right by the Dead Sea. Of course, there's nothing that grows in the Dead Sea. It's so salty. And these cliffs kind of almost come right up on the Dead Sea and then drop. But there's one place that's very famous right there by the Dead Sea. And it's this ravine that cuts back into the mountains that goes back into the Judean wilderness. And what has cut this ravine is this one river. It's not a very big river, but it has cut through those mountains and it runs through that ravine down to the Dead Sea. And around this stream, it has created this oasis and it's called the En Gedi. So right here on the edge of the Judean desert is, is the En Gedi. Here's a picture of the En Gedi. And it cuts through those mountains. You can see the stream, and you can see there's bushes growing. And in the background, you can see trees growing right by the stream that in no way could possibly grow in that wilderness. I mean, you look at this picture, and this picture doesn't even do it justice. There's some very lush parts of the En Gedi, this famous oasis. Go on to the next picture. There are these waterfalls that, that go down, down through the ravine and empty out at the Dead Sea. And there's these beautiful pools of water and these bushes and trees that grow right around it. It's this incredible, very famous oasis right there in the middle of the wilderness. Now with that concept, think through this verse. He's saying that you'll be blessed. Like if you're anchoring your life to God's truth and God's word, you're like a tree, a tree planted by streams of water. See, in our, our Florida mindset, we're like, okay, someone by, by a water, you might have like a little bit of an edge up. You'll both do fine, but this one will do a little better. Not when you consider this context. If you're by the stream of water, you're thriving and immovable. If you're not... It's desolate. It's wilderness. He's not just saying, let me give you a leg up. 
He's telling you the poles. He's saying you need to be right by the stream of water so you can thrive. Because if, if you're not there, there's nothing that's going to nourish you. You say, man, are you sure it's that extreme? Well, look at verse 4. Look where he goes next because he has another agricultural metaphor. He says in verse 4, the wicked are not so. Now, the wicked here, he's not talking about wicked meaning like the worst people in history. He means wicked. He's just saying people who say, I'm going to choose not to do it God's way. Like, I'm just, I don't want to live God's way. I, I'm, I'm doing things my way. I'm just going against it. That's what he means by that. He says, the wicked are not so. Now, here's this metaphor. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. One metaphor, he says, you're like a tree, immovable, always thriving, always being nourished by the source. He says, or, here's the other extreme, it's like chaff. Now, what's chaff? If you harvest grain in, in this region and in this time period, what you do is you harvest something like wheat or something like that, and you take the, the granules, and they would go up typically like on a hillside, um, and they would, they would put the granules like in a flat basket like this, almost like a tray, and they would be like flipping the granules up into the air, and they'd be let them come up and drop like this, and, they're, and the, because they're up on a hill so that the breeze can come through it, and what they're wanting to happen is they're flipping it up, they're wanting the breeze to take away these little filaments that you don't want in the grain. You don't want that in your bread or whatever you're making. And these little filaments that are kind of encasing the grain that you want, these little light filaments, they kind of break off and the wind just blows them away. They just kind of float away. They're very delicate and very light. And he says, so here's what he's, com he's comparing and contrasting. You've got a tree, immovable, sturdy, constantly thriving, and you've got this chaff that's so delicate that will be moved by any wind that comes along in its life. He's describing this incredible metaphor, powerful metaphor. I mean, what is this psalm about? Very simply, it's looking us right in the eye. It's very practical. It's very straightforward. It says this, you want to thrive? Whatever the complexity of your life is, he says, be anchored, be placed right by these streams. The streams in this passage that he's talking about is the word of God, the truth of God, the scriptures. He's talking about the Bible. He's saying, be placed right by there, be saturated in God's worth, God's word, so that you're not steered away by, the, by other voices that are steering you away from God's truth. And he's saying, you want to be planted right by God's truth. Now, what we've talked about in this series, we talked last week because there's multiple ways that we get saturated by God's word. Last week, we talked about, this is, there's a do-it-yourself side of this. How do you actually just study the Bible? And last week, we talked about, here's just how you study the Bible on your own, and we talked about and looked at how you did that, but that's not the only way we saturate ourselves and, and make sure that we are most influenced by God's truth. And we get a little hint of the other component of that, the other way we apply this by the language there. Did you notice the word you are planted by streams of water? Scholars have pointed out that this word is, not, is specifically talking about someone being intentionally placed there. 
It's not saying this lucky tree just happened to grow up in the right place. It's actually saying there is some gardener who transplanted this tree in the perfect location. Someone has planted that tree right there. Here's the metaphor. The water is the word of God. You are the tree and God has planted you in a location. He's planted you in a place, in this oasis, by the stream of water. He's planted you in this location. See, here's what we know. Where has God planted you? God has planted you as part of being a person that is anchored on the word. He has planted you in a community of people. He's placed you in there as a community of people. So you're surrounded by other people that are studying the word. You're studying the word together. And the scripture, God's truths are all seeping into your lives. And you're in, placed in this community, drawing, drawing in the, the nutrients from God's word together. You have been planted somewhere. It's a critical component to this whole idea of being anchored to God's word. Let me illustrate it like this. I don't know if you remember that science project that I bet some of you did when you were a kid in school. It's where you take a piece of celery, and hopefully it still has the leaves on top, and you cut off the bottom, and then you get a cup with food coloring in it, and you place the piece of celery into the food coloring, and, and watch how it drinks in the water. Does anyone remember this? Don't, don't leave me hanging here. Some of you guys remember this? Okay. So for the rest of you that apparently had a deficient education, okay, <laughs> for the rest of you, we did this science project in our offices earlier this week. Here's a picture of what happens, okay? And the piece of celery, as it's drawing in the water, whatever the tint of the water that it is placed in is what it is going to drink up and the, and the leaves will turn that color. The whole plant will be tinted that color. See, here's the idea. The, the metaphor is you have been planted someplace actually by, by a gardener, by God. You have been planted in a location Wherever you find yourself planted, you will instinctively draw in whatever the nutrients are around you. If the water running by is poisonous water, you'll be bringing in poison. If it's clean water, you'll be drawing in nutrients that you need. Whatever the tint is of the community around you, you draw it in. So where has God planted you? Let me read to you a couple scriptures. What does the Bible say itself? about where you've been planted. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says this. is about the church and about Christians. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Here, let's jump metaphors for a second. Let's take at it another way. Here's what, here's what the Bible is saying. If you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus, when you started following Jesus, you became a part of a body, a, a smaller part of a larger whole. You became a body part. And you cannot thrive without the rest of the body, and the body cannot thrive without you. So you became part of a larger whole. That's how what God designed for you, Christian. That's where he placed you in. There's sometimes as a pastor, I hear the idea of, you know what, I, I'm just not so into church and I just, I don't want to do the church. It's just me and Jesus and my Bible. That's all I need. And you know what, if that's where you're at, you know, you may have good reason. You may have something that happened and have good reason to feel that way. 
But my challenge to you is this morning is to wrestle with what the Bible says because what it's saying to you is when you began to follow Jesus, you became part of a larger whole. Why is that so important? Let's see something else the Bible says. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. Look what it says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, he's saying, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be in a community that's encouraging each other, sharpening each other, inspiring one another, helping each other love better, helping each other do good works in the name of Jesus. It says specifically, not neglecting to meet together. We're, we're supposed to be a community. When we start following Jesus, we're placed in a community so that we can grow together. In fact, one more scripture on this. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2. This is what the very first church ever did. I mean, Jesus went back to heaven and they're like, what do we do? Here's what they did. Acts chapter 2, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It goes on to say this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor on all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It says they were, they were a people devoted to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? That, that's this. There are people that said, okay, we've got to cling to, to the Bible, to God's word, to the scriptures. We've got to cling to God's truth. And they came together constantly. They were together meeting regularly. They're in each other's homes, encouraging each other constantly. See, you are designed. There, there's part of this. If we want to be saturated, we want to be blessed. There's part of this that we say, okay, I need to get into this and dig into this on my own. But there's another part of this is you've been planted in a location to thrive, in a community. You are planted by a stream of water, but it's an entire oasis. Look around. You're not the only tree right there. You've been planted in a community that you are designed to thrive. In other words, let me put it like this. We can try and renovate our lives. And we can dig in and say, you know, I need to clean up this area of my life. But if I, this is what the scripture is saying. If I try and do that by myself, it's like renovating a room and you're just in the wrong location. It's just kind of going to be a waste. It's not really going to work. We need each other to stir each other up, encourage each other, sharpen each other, speak into each other's lives. We need that. In other words, let me put this another way. Church, it's not something you attend something you are a part of. You are it. You're a piece of it. It's something you're a part of. If, if you're here, and, and the challenge for you today, if you're here and you say, you know what, I, I, I do my own, I have my own relationship with God separately, wrestle with what this is saying because God has, has planted you somewhere, Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's planted you somewhere to be a part of a community to thrive, a community anchored on the word so that you're all gr uh, growing and thriving together. If you're someone that's saying, you know, I, I do church, I attend and I go and I, I get my church and I leave, it's saying this, it's challenging you and it's pushing you. Church is more than just something you come to and attend. It's something you're a part of. It's something you become a piece of when you start following Jesus. I mean, let me just make it real basic. I mean, today, the first thing you may need to do is go right out to that growth tracks table and say, okay, I, I, need, 
I need to just take a step. I need to get in a community. I need to be around. I need to build relationships. I just need to be a part of it. I need to be a part of this family. It, it, church is not just a, a vendor. It's not just I get where I, here's where I go to get my groceries and here's where I go to, to, get, to do this and to do that and then church is where I go to get spirituality and I leave. No, church is a family. It's something you are a part of and maybe the first step you say, let me, let me find a place to serve. Let me find a place to get involved. Let me find a place and be part of a community. It, it's, suppo- it's designed so that these, this is where your key friendships are. Not necessarily all of your friendships, but your key friendships are so that you're encouraging each other and you're seeking out each other and you're, you're growing together. This is where your family's planted so that your kids are, are growing, growing up and learning the scripture together and they have other kids that have been learning and their friends that have been learning the scripture and your students are growing in friendships and when they go to school, to high school or to middle school, they look around and they don't see just everyone that's completely different than them. They see other people that they're growing and they're trying to fight this battle too and learn what it means to be a Christian in that environment. It's we're growing together, all planted on this stream that is God's truth, drawing in the nutrients together. You've been planted in community, and this is something that we desperately, desperately, desperately need. I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but this is something that you can't live without. <clears throat> Church, um, this week, some of you are aware, has been a week that we've learned the gravity of the scripture more than usual. Some of you are aware, for those of you who aren't, I want to make you aware. Uh, you may know um, a, a beloved couple in our church, Vince and Regla Harris. Um, Vince is uh, an elder here at West Pines. That's the, the leadership group that is a, a, a few people that are chiefly in charge of determining and seeking God for the direction of our church. And um, he's, he's taught in our men's ministry for many years uh, his wife Regla is uh, on staff. She's part of our. St- they're part of our staff family. She serves in our, our kids ministry as well. And uh, this past Wednesday night, they received word that their youngest daughter Jenny, 20 years old, was in a car accident and passed away. And, um, you know, as we heard the news, the family hears the news, and as our church family heard the news, we've been reeling for a couple days. And what do you do with news like that? (laughs) What do you say? What do you think? What do you pray? And in moments like this, man, the only thing that we can do and the only thing that we've done for the last couple days, those who uh, are just heartbroken for the Harrises and know them and know their family, the only thing that we can do is just weep with them and hold each other and just cling to these scriptures And so within a couple hours of the news, we're just like 
shocked and, and devastated and, 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 and agony, brokenhearted for this beloved family. And, and almost immediately, like these, as we're clinging together, like there's, as a community anchored in the word, all of a sudden these scriptures are just starting to bubble up because they're scriptures that as we've been planted by the word, we've been taking in throughout our years together. And all of a sudden, just even among the family, these scriptures are starting to boil up and through close friends and across the staff and within the elder team, we're sending these, texting these scriptures back and forth and we're praying scriptures through tears and we're whispering scriptures in each other's ear and we're just holding each other and weeping and clinging to God's word. We're sharing scriptures to each other, things like this. Psalm 91.4, we're saying, and He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Psalm 56, 8 through 10. You, God, you will keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. But my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. And I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. 2 Corinthians 1.5 For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And we're just clinging. There's nothing else to say. I mean, there, there are questions that we won't get answered this side of heaven as we're wrestling with this and weeping through this and we're just holding on to these scriptures and holding on to each other. And this, this week, our church learned the, the, the gravity of what this is saying. You can either be planted in a community that's anchored to his word or the rest is wilderness. It's saying this, this is too hard we can't do this without each other. We can't make it without each other. We need each other in times where we're just clinging together. We need each other. I don't know what your experience has been this week. You might be coming in here and, and this is news to you. And otherwise this week, man, God did great, awesome victories in your life. And if that's your case, you need a community that's celebrating with you and, and celebrating and thanking God what he's done in your life. You might be coming in saying, look, I'm at a crossroads in my life and I'm just desperate. I need God's direction of which way to go and I'm confused and I need answers and I need counsel and I need wisdom. And if you're coming in, you need a community around you that's anchored in the scripture that's going to be saying to you and speaking in and, and helping you know where God's leading you. But you may be coming in here and you may be grieving and in agony and heartbroken and it may be about something completely different than what we just talked about. You need a community anchored in God's word to hold on to. One of the scriptures that immediately came to the surface, even within the family, within those first couple hours of hearing the news, just as we're all in just utter shock, that we've been holding on to as hard as we can is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do, do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that's those who have passed away, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. So in those first couple hours, we're 
clinging to each other and just saying, we grieve, we weep, we cry. But mingled in with our grief is hope. Because Jenny Harris has put her faith in Jesus Christ and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is standing in the presence of Jesus, our Savior, right now. And so we know now she's among that great cloud of witnesses that look down over the side of heaven and cheer us on and we know that she's the best she's ever been and we cling as a family, as a church family, we cling to that hope as we're holding on to the scripture that she is by Jesus' side. And so for those of you who are grieving today, can I tell you that verse is for you? But there's some of you who need that verse because you need to realize something we've all realized this this week in, in just even more clarity. One day, every single one of us will stand before God. And we really, truly do not know when that moment will come. And that moment you're standing before God, are you ready for that moment? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt in that moment if, if you will be in heaven with God? with God. And if you do not know the answer to that question, you can make that right today. Please make that right today. The Bible is very clear. It very simply says this, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and the wages of that sin is death. In other words, we'll all stand before God and when he takes inventory of our life, every single one of us, he'll find sin, which means we do not make it to heaven. We spend an eternity away from God. But the good news is this, the gift of God, it's a gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God knew we wouldn't make it, knew we fell short, so he provided Jesus Christ who came to earth, he died on the cross and rose again from the dead and he was paying for our sins. Jesus paid the penalty for us so all of our sins are transferred over to Jesus and we are washed clean if we simply do this. It says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If you just simply today say, God, I realize it's not about what I do, but what Jesus did. He died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I, I know and believe that was for me. He rose from the dead. I believe that. And I put my faith in that so I can receive your forgiveness permanently. I want to know that I can be in heaven one day when I die. Is that you? Do you want to know that for sure? Then just right now in this moment, quietly between you and God, just simply say this in your heart up to him. Say, God, I want to know for sure that I'm in heaven. I believe Jesus saved me on the cross. I believe he died and rose again for me. And it says, you can know that you have hope. You can know that you have eternity. We're going to close our time together this morning by taking communion. And communion is, it's a powerful symbol. There are two elements in this small meal that we're taking together. It's broken bread and it's poured out juice or wine. And they're symbols that Jesus himself commanded us to do. He said, these symbols are symbols of the broken bread, symbol of my broken body, and the poured out juice is symbol of my blood that was shed for you. My death saved you. And we partake, we, we take this small meal as a way to proclaim that Jesus is the center of, of our lives. It's Jesus that saves us and it's called communion. We do it as a community together. 
This is what we draw together, taking this meal together because we're collectively saying our lives are anchored on this truth of Jesus Christ. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you, we're going to come forward and we're going to take these elements together. If you are a Christian, then I encourage you to come forward and to take this meal. And if you are here and if you are not a Christian, you're not sure where you stand with that yet, then here's what I ask you. Would you just hold off for now? Because this is a proclamation right here that Jesus Christ has washed you clean and you're proclaiming that you're accepting the death of Christ. And so if you're not ready to take this, I'd encourage you just to hold off for right now. But maybe today, you said, today was the first day that I put my faith in Jesus. Then what you're going to see is you're going to see some plastic cups and some wooden cups. For those of us who are, are, have been walking with Jesus for a while, the plastic cups are for us. But for those of you who are putting your faith in Jesus for the first time, you're going to see some wooden cups. If today was the first day you put your faith in Jesus, take that wooden cup. That's to remember that today is the day that you put your faith in Jesus. Now, why are we taking this communion together? Why is it so important for us to do that? Because we're reminded of this truth, as it says in Revelation chapter 21, when John, he saw this vision of heaven, and he said this, he said, And I I heard a loud voice from the throne of God, from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with, with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Because Jesus, by his death on the cross, he paid for our sins, and he purchased our salvation, but through Jesus' death, he's going to make all things new. And so together as a community, we come together to celebrate that powerful truth today. When you come forward, there's some tables in the back. You can go forward and you can just take a piece of the bread and the cup. You can take it and then go back to your seat. And then we're going to close in a song together. You can begin coming forward now. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.